Welcome to the Anonymous Andrew Podcast. Life and the choices we make. The choices other people make. Why we choose to ignore the red flags. Red flags like gaslighting, cheating, addiction, mental illness, and much more. What role do they play in relationships? Follow me each week as we discuss these topics with anonymous guests and experts to hopefully become better humans, resulting in better choices. Like I say, been there, still doing that. Now on to the show. Anonymous Andrew here with another pre-note. This is episode number 30. Um, You're going to hear in the recording that I didn't know what episode this is, but uh, because I do several episodes a week. Actually, I've been doing three or four a week, and then I schedule them for the weeks ahead. But as it turns out, this is episode number 30, Beyond My Wildest Dreams. When I first started this, I had no idea where I was going with this. And in a few short months, I'm on episode 30. Um, the interview you're about to hear, the, the gentleman is 6,000 miles away in Hawaii. And for some reason, we had some Wi-Fi problems um, you're going to hear some dropouts and some stuttering. It's only because of the connection, the Wi-Fi connection. But it's audible. I did listen to it, and it's, it is airworthy. So just wanted to give you that note, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the show, because I did. All right? Ciao. Hello, everybody. Anonymous Andrew, back with you again. Um Episode number, I don't know, because I've done so many episodes this week, I've lost count. Today, I have a very interesting and um, charismatic guest. I have Gary Gillette with me today. And I'm going to read to you a little bit about what Gary, uh, a little bit about his bio. And um, I find it fascinating. Uh, Gary has written numerous books. So he's an author, um, books, everything from metaphysics. Um, he teaches metaphysics. Um, he was also a registered behavioral therapist for autistic children. Um, he's also, and, and we'll, I'm, I can't wait for this part. He is a, um, a voiceover actor or has voice. Gary, why don't you tell us a little bit about just the voice? What, what do you call that? A voice actor? Or voiceover? Uh, I'm not sure what you call it. Uh, I guess it's like voice acting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. And that, of course, uh, is not... I just, he just makes it up as he does <laughs> That's, of course, not his real voice. He's 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 playing for us. Okay, but... Uh, and we'll, and we'll, we, will, we will get to that, Gary, because I'm fascinated by that. Um, I, uh, I, I was in radio myself back in, in the early days, and... Um, I was told to go into the voiceover field because I had a good voice, but of course I never pursued that. Gary, tell us a little bit about, um, <clears throat> um, let's see, I, I could pick some of these things here. One of your books, um, I, I find there's two of them that jumped out at me is getting past the fear of death. Um, I, as I've said to my audience, I'm, 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 I just turned 63 and I'm facing mortality because this is the, the last phase of, of life, right? The, our senior golden years. What prompted you to write this book, and what what is the secret of getting past the fear of death, or is there one? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it very much. 
My pleasure. The name of the book is This Boy is About to Die, The Life, Death, and Life of Gary G. So that's really the title of it. <laughs> okay. It's about, it's a, it covers my four near-death experiences from when I was a baby to eight years old and then uh, 42 and uh, around that time. So I've had four different ones and they've each taught me profound lessons. But I remember dying as a baby. So I remember really, and you can read it in the book, everything about it. And I couldn't believe that I was already going home. I was like, okay, so this is really wonderful. It was fun on earth while I was there. But you're still a baby. You, 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 there's no reason for you to come back yet. And I thought, well, why, you know, why not? I mean, you know, being an earthling is boring compared to what you offer up here. You know, unconditional love. And I feel like I'm back into the family. I said, yeah, but you were just born. So get back down there. And <laughs> they're really kind of, you know, <laughs> pragmatic about it. Like, well, yeah, but see, <clears throat> Their, your family has been praying for a little boy because they had lost your older brother uh, some nine years earlier. Excuse me a second. I'm getting a little bit of a, what they call vog. Uh, that is, I live in Hawaii and we're getting volcanic fog. In the okay, air. wow. So excuse me, I mean, I'm a voice actor, so I'm usually in a booth, but right now I'm just sitting here with the window open. <clears throat> okay, I'm back. And... Uh, they said, okay, so, but the thing is, you really, uh, you know, need to go back to this family. They really want a little boy. And I said, well, they have two beautiful little girls. Why do they need me? I mean, you really are that way out of your body. You're not thinking, I'm a little boy. You're, you're already fully developed as a spirit, if that makes sense. So I said, okay, fine. I'll go back and see what happens. And they just love me. Love me. Well, you can't love me like, you know, you guys do. But, you know, they did the best they could. And that was the important thing. And I made it all the way to age eight before I had my second near-death experience. So, <laughs> and that was kind of a freak accident where a lawnmower picked up a bolt about six inches long, the kind you <clears throat> would use to attach a transformer onto a pole and shot it into my neck. And that's the picture you see on the book when you look at the book, is me lying on the gurney with that st thing sticking out of my neck. <laughs> so wow. I kind of took an appreciation to understanding that death is the biggest illusion of all, you know, that really what we think is the worst thing because religion has put it into our brains that when you die, you, you have to accept certain spiritual leaders or you're not going to be a happy person and you're going to hell, blah, blah, blah. You know, you probably studied all this yourself. And I was fascinated with theology by the time I was like 13 years old. I was already into the world of metaphysics because this happened when I was eight years old. So I said, okay, so let me learn more about it. And I said, you know something? <clears throat> Every single religion, if you will, has the same spiritual aspect of looking for the truth. So if people need to find the truth through Buddhism or Judaism or Mormonism, whatever they want, to me, it makes perfect sense, you know, if that's the way they want to approach their spirituality. I just close my eyes. You know, there's a bad God, he's a vengeful God. It doesn't work for me. Never has. Right. But I've been there twice and now three times and now four times. And so by the time I was like 18, 19 years old, I was into deep books. Some I couldn't barely understand. Wow. <laughs> you know, like the crack in the cosmic egg. What the hell's that about? I tried reading that and I, I didn't understand. I was like 16 years old. I was like, you know something? This is so, this is more noise than needs to be said in a book. 
And I'm sorry, whoever wrote that, you may you know be a bloody genius and maybe I can understand it now. <laughs> when I was a kid, I said, I don't know why they have to make it so bloody complicated. You live a good life. You do the best you can. You try to treat people with dignity and love. And essentially, you'll have a good life. Worry about dying. If you treat people like crap, I think when you die, you probably get to relive some of the stuff you did to them. And I don't know because I've never been on the other. I've never been like, oh, like some writers say, oh, you're, you know, this is what hell is like. And I go, to me, hell is people who don't take the time to realize we're all connected. Those are the people that I don't know you should say deserve, but those are the people that need to find out that everything you do to other people, karma, whatever, yep. it does come back. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't come back because, in my opinion, had a bad life or you have to make up for it, but it comes back because people are generally trying to be good. When they're rotten <laughs> people, <laughs> that yeah. means they don't want to be good anymore. And that right. means the stuff they put out there comes right back to them. And this involves relationships as well. Yeah. If you feel, and this will cover this, if you feel unworthy of self-love, or if you feel unworthy that your parents didn't treat you right and you didn't feel loved by them, then you're going to look for bloody miserable relationships to try to find that hole in your heart, to try to find that hole in your life. And maybe that's what, we've all gone through that, but maybe that's what we'll cover a little bit more later with you. And that brings up the, the phrase in my mind, hurt people, hurt people. So if you. Precisely. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it means. Um, and, and you mentioned karma. I, I fully believe in karma. Um, I, I, I guess the simplified version of that, what goes around comes around. But um, yeah, if, <clears throat> if you put out into the universe negativity, negativity is going to come back. And um, Yeah, why wouldn't it? Yeah. Why, why wouldn't it come back? If you're focused on a certain thing, then that focus, this is manifestation, basic manifestation 101. If you focus on a certain thing, that certain thing is going to take over your life. If you focus on a bloody awful relationship, that's going to be the first thing you seek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's exactly. Yeah. And this is exactly, exactly. This is what happened to me. I, I focused on a negative relationship during and after and it's been still traumatizing and still whatever and and of course now i'm making a I'm making a second career out of it all right gary um with this there's a lot to cover here because i as you talk i'm as, as i always do i make i come up with questions tell me a little bit about the book now i don't think this is the correct title but why can't you live the life of your dreams what's the correct title of that book and what does that book, what, what is that book about? This is essentially what we're talking about. It's called the D factor, why you can't manifest the life of your dreams. And I came up with that because I thought, you know, the problem with self-love seems to be not deserving love. Mm-hmm. The D factor, real simple, you know. And, and And I looked at that and I thought, you know, Maybe I can expound upon that. And I worked on it for a couple of months. And I said, uh, just from the relationships I've had, where I've noticed that people didn't love themselves either through relationships or through you know, a single partner, I learned that if you don't feel like you deserve love, 
there's no way in hell you can actually give love. I mean, you can no. try your best. You can try your very, very best. But if you don't love yourself, and this is real basic to me, but I mean, some people still miss this. If you don't love yourself, how can you possibly love another person? So I, what obviously we get to work through. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I struggle with that. I've talked about this in my podcast in several episodes. I am struggling to love myself. It's uh, not just because of this last relationship, but because of all the the collateral damage that I've done in my life from my alcoholism. And, uh, you know, I woke up, I woke up eight years ago realizing that I was a drunk and that my whole life had been wasted and I've hurt many, many people. And, uh, and since then I've been trying to be, be a better human being. And, um, um, and, and if I can I, offer, go ahead. And if I can offer the, the most basic advice in my book, is the way you talk to yourself is what you need to learn or what you get to learn. This is going to be a privilege from now on for you, okay? I helped somebody on this a couple of weeks ago. She changed her life overnight. She, <laughs> I won't mention any names, but she's so happy now because she listened. And basically, when you listen to yourself talk, you're going to step away from that, okay? And you're going to say, I get to learn how to love myself. Make it a privilege, okay? And don't say uh, what what most people say was like, oh, you know, I, I did this and I did that and, and I'm still looking, still looking. You're going to constantly look if you keep saying it that way. Say, I am learning. I am finding a way to do this. I love myself now. I'm not learning to love myself. Does that make sense? So now you're not putting it out there to make it a distant thing, but saying, I love myself now for who I am and what I've gone through. I was an alcoholic because this is a lesson I needed to learn. It's a horrible, hard lesson. So but you didn't do it because you wanted to hurt yourself. You no. did it because you thought it was the way to escape the pain. Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and many other things. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with that 100%. So let me <laughs> ask you this then. Um, <laughs> you, you, you say it's the way you talk to yourself. I, and, right. and 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 I t I tell the audience that I tell it I I'm honest and I I I'm an open book. If I do something <clears throat> stupid or dumb, it could be in my own home. I I misplace something <laughs> or I break right. something. But like right. I just knocked over a bottle of water. I I will often say, "Oh, you dummy," or yeah, um, I did something very dumb last week, and I'm not going to mention it here, but I, I can tell you later. <laughs> but it was a really <laughs> dumb thing to do and it had some repercussions and I have been walking around for five days going, you idiot, you dumb effing idiot. And so are you, is that what you're talking about when you say talk to yourself, stop being so negative? Like if you that, make a mistake- That you... couldn't be more precise. Okay. You couldn't be more of a paradigm of what I'm trying to teach okay. if you had to be. <clears throat> are parroting what you heard from other people mm. perhaps growing up perhaps from your parents perhaps from an uncle you're parroting that because you think that makes sense because that's the way they told you they loved you how horrible is that you dummy you want to do better or you'll never just survive in this world oh my god what's wrong with you you better learn or you're gonna die you understand you're gonna walk in front of a car they don't see the bigger repercussions of saying why am I doing this to him? Because I'm doing it because I don't understand me. 
So when you say, okay, I am getting, and this is one of the things I wrote was CTS, consider the source. Mm. Who is saying this to you? If you're saying it to yourself now, it's because you've heard it so many times that you think it's a way to, to get that message through. Instead of saying you dummy, say, oh my God, I'm human. I do things like a human. I did this last week. I put my bank card down and I don't know where the hell it is, but I didn't go, oh, Gary, you moron. I said, Gary, you're going to find it. And if you don't, big deal. You call the bank and you cancel it. No, you get a new one, right. no. So good. I look at it and I, I laugh at it instead of saying, why would I berate myself more? You know, I mean, the whole world is waiting to give you shit. You know, mm -hmm. they love in certain ways and in certain ways they give you shit because they think it's better for your good, right? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on your podcast, I guess. Absolutely. So nope, you should give me a look when I said it. This is unfiltered. <laughs> unfiltered. Okay. So essentially, <clears throat> these fucking morons say, <laughs> <laughs> say, oh, I'm saying this because I want you to learn. If you don't learn, you and it's essentially the sheep. The sheep walks away from the herd and the herd goes, you're going to die because you can't survive on your own. If you come back to the flock and say, you know, something's not that bad out there, then they go, oh no, no. See, you you can't, you can't, you can't tell us this. <clears throat> because now if we tell us this, we're gonna go, well, maybe there's more going on than we realize. Mm. Does that make sense? Now you're going in, into a certain a metaphysical sense of the connectivity I was talking about earlier. If you're not loving yourself, then how can you connect to other people? If you give yourself shit for just the smallest things, then you're going to do it all the time because it becomes a habit. It's the same way when you eat food. You develop uh, sense receptors for certain foods, and after a while, you have to have them. So this is like a dog who's chained up in the back and cannot move, and he thinks that if you take him off the chain, that he can't go any further. Or rather, if you take him off the chain, you no, lo no longer love him. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So all these things going on, we still have that animal brain saying, I, I, I really can't do this without other people. I can't do this. Because I've been told so many times the elephant no longer, you know, or the dog can no longer go to a certain distance. Or if, see, wow. and this is kind of a taking it down to the lowest abject level. But suppose you, you beat a dog every day and you tell him you love him. And that one day you don't beat the dog, he thinks he's not loved anymore. Interesting. That's pretty bad, right? Yeah. But that's what we do to ourselves. You have to start with yourself, Andrew. Start with yourself. Well, Listen and, to yourself when you and, and that's exactly where I'm struggling. And and Okay, stop right there. I, I, I that's hate exactly to... that's well, exactly what I was struggling. You're no longer oh. struggling. Because I was gonna say something after that, but there's no need to say Go that ahead. now because But you understand a little now bit. I now I understand. Okay. So why do really... you make it worse by you it's know, a mind shift. Is, it, it, it's an actual. It's a total mind, mind shift. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it, it seems complicated, but it really isn't. But you have to learn to listen. We don't listen to other people because we're wondering what we're thinking. Then we listen to ourselves because we're afraid that what we're saying may be true. <laughs> but if you say, you know, <clears throat> things could be worse. I could have a worse life. I I love myself, and I'm going to do even more, and I'm doing more. And I am more instead of saying, I want to be, I have to want, I want this, I want this. Because what happens when you get there, then you want something else or you need something else. You're just putting out stuff that you are making harder for yourself. Right. And that, that and that's, 
That couldn't be more true with somebody in recovery because we're always looking for that next high or that next achievement or that next, um, uh, I can't think of the word, but- um, That's a real good point. Yeah, because alcohol, <clears throat> anybody who's addicted to anything, they want, that, they want that instant gratification. And I want what I want when I want it and I want it now. And that's typically of an alcohol or an addict, but- um, but I guess that can be uh, br applied broadly across the population. So um, you made a great point. My next book is called Autistic Us. Mm. Because every one of us is on the spectrum. And one of the higher uh, behavioral things with autistic children is they need something right now. They don't want change. They're afraid, terrified of change, and they're easily overwhelmed with information or noise or whatever. So that's what I see in everybody I talk to, is that if I put too much silence between the words, it scares the crap out of them because they don't want <laughs> they don't want to know what's going on in their own heads. And <clears throat> when you are addicted to something, whether it be you know sex or food or money, whatever it is, you know, drugs. I mean, I'm, I live on Hawaii where most people typically smoke, you know, uh, pakalolo, what they call pakalolo. And uh, I know some people who cannot live a day without it. I mean, they are constantly smoking. And I think in my head, it must be terrifying for you to think of what life must be without when it. you're not high. Yeah. Huh. So that's the terror. That's what keeps you addicted, isn't it? when you're active yes once you become you step into recovery then they teach you one day at a time because if you think about your life never drinking again then that's too far off so we're taught one day you know today i'm not going to drink so but to your point yes these people who are actively ingesting something to get high they can't imagine what their life would be without and and i i've spoken to people who are wake and bake you know, they get up in the morning and they they they, they hit that oh, yes. pot. They hit the bong first thing in the morning, and then that's the bong before they go to sleep. I I was never much of a pothead, and I never I just just didn't. My thing wasn't pot, and I just don't understand how people can walk around in that daze for fourteen to sixteen hours a day. But to each their own, right? Um, well, think about it. Think about it for a second. You just did the. Uh... Same thing, only with alcohol. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did it. That's, oh, you did wow, it. You know, I can't. I can't take the pain, so I need to uh, dull it or, or or dull it or make it somehow uh, acceptable or for, for you to be able to deal with it, right? So, I mean, it makes perfect sense, but not to someone who's smoking, going, "Why are they alcoholic?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All you need to do is take a few puffs, and then you can relax. You know what I'm saying? Or smokers say, well, why don't they smoke? All you need is a regular cigarette. But it's it's all it all comes down to what a subjective interpretation of your own reality and belief system is. Right? Very, Some people say, yeah. Oh, well, if I just look in the Bible every day, I feel comfort. Fine, that's great. That's super fantastic for you. Yeah. But for me, it none of that works because I don't want to become to a point where I have to have something. And I do yoga twice a day. I like to do yoga twice a day. I don't say, oh, i got to do my yoga this morning. I go, oh, man, are you kidding me? It makes me feel great the rest of the day. 
I do yoga before I go to sleep. It gets me into the alpha rhythm. I get nice breathing, you know, and yeah. I go right to sleep. Yeah. That's another book I'm working on is is uh, Perchance to Dream, How to Sleep in 30 Seconds or Less. By the way, all what? of your books are available <laughs> on Amazon. Um, yeah. you, you have quite a repertoire of books. I know you rambled off a few of them for us, but if, <laughs> if one wants to want to look or read or, or download your book or buy your book, they would just type your name in Amazon, right? Gary Gillette. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> also I'm offering, I mean, I might as well get this out there now. If people want the hard copy, I'm going to do a pre-sale. So I'll give you a discount through your show. Really? Wow. Sure. Okay. Yeah. The hard copies um, are on the way, but I thought if I could do it now, then I can get them out faster. <laughs> all right. So I'll tell you what, when we're done, you email me that and I'll put that in the show notes. When when, when might that book be coming out? Oh, all three of them are going to be out in the next few months. Oh, great. Uh, I lost a, a hard drive to the, uh, <clears throat> this boy's about to die. And thankfully, my cousin was able to recover it uh, for me. And uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> when I did the proofs, they all came back <laughs> with the pictures not in them. So I have to redo it with all the all the pictures again before I can get it on a hard copy. Okay. But that's my um, intention is to get those, to get those have, guys out there once and for all. <laughs> I, I have a, a curveball question for you. But oh, those only, are my best. But only because you're, <laughs> you you talked about the metaphysical world. Um, my audience knows a little bit about this, but I don't bring it up often because it's not mainstream. But I mm. am a tarot card reader. I study tarot <clears throat> cards. Right. And, and um, that's, um, I think that dabbles in the metaphysical world because in the tarot world, we when we read the cards it's it's, it's the universe tells us uh, puts the cards down uh, any thoughts on that is it is anything that you've ever dabbled in or do you have any knowledge behind that or is it just i i never got into it and, and <clears throat> only because i don't need cards to to read people okay I oh can, interesting i can look at your face and i can tell a lot more about you than you'll ever be able to tell me yeah more than I, I might I know about channel. myself. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say channel. I wouldn't say channel, but I, I do get information all the time from yeah. the universe. Interesting. So I look at you and I go, "You've had a hard childhood. It was very tough. Uh, your mother had a certain way of treating you that your dad didn't do, and you, you know, there's different different things yeah. I can see and different things I can feel, mm. and also your sibling rivalry and all the stuff you went through. You see what I'm saying? So it's all part and parcel of being a human being. So to me, when someone's tarot card, I said, oh, cool. <laughs> you know, if you want to read me. And then no one's ever read me right. <laughs> they never read me. They did the best they could. And I said, you have the cards upside down. Or you did this. Or, and I tell them about the tarot cards. I said, well, my friend does runes and you do those. And other people do astrology and everything like that. And they all have validity. <clears throat> Every one of them. Yeah. But I think that what happens is you're channeling information yeah. as you put the cards down. So you are the channel. It's not the cards. The cards right. are just the way I write. It's, it's like just, uh, it's like, yeah, it's, conduit. you're putting the conduit exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so I would honor everything that people do with that. I just yeah. never got into it. In yeah, and, and it's strictly a hobby. It's something that the ex-girlfriend was into, and I, I 
would watch her do it. And then I, of course, like a, a codependent person would do, I, you know, if she's doing it, then I, I want to do it. And, but even after the breakup, I continue to do it. And um, I, I find it for me, I, I don't do it for money. There's a lot of people that do this for the money. And, and I, and I know there are a lot of fakes out there or people who would, you know, for somebody to go sure. to tarot reading and pay $500 for a 45 minute session. I, that's just not my, Ow. no, I would never, <laughs> I don't do that. I didn't that. know it was that lucrative, but I might've gotten into it. <laughs> oh, it it's, it's crazy, Gary. I, I've seen, I've seen people who go religiously week after week to go back to the tarot reader and they shell out two fifty a session. And, and I, while I believe in it, I, I think you're spending a thousand dollars a month for them to tell you what might happen tomorrow or the next day or what they might see in your well, future. It's part of the fear factor, isn't it? It's part yeah. of the fear factor. Yeah. It's saying, I can't do this on my own. I need to be, you know, like uh, James Kirk and, and ask this machine what my, what my future might be in the twilight zone. Right. I need, I, I can't, I can't, I can't depend on myself because I don't love myself enough. I can't depend on myself to say, I am responsible for virtually everything that happens in my life. So if you can assign that to a psychologist, a doctor, a friend, a tarot reader, if you can assign that to someone else, you no longer have to face the fear of being in charge of your life 100%. Yeah. Do you do this for yourself, the tarot reading? I do. there was a time when I was offering it to other people for free on Instagram and um, just, just for practice and just for a hobby. Right. And and by the way, I was out of a relationship and had all this free time on my hands. So, yeah. So I started getting more into it, but it's now the podcast has taken that place. So I've, I've kind of pulled back on the tarot cards. Well, that's, that's good because now you can put other people into the mix. Yeah. And, like me can help you realize that it's not about other people. No, it's all about you. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about Andrew, anonymous Andrew, whoever yeah. he wants to be. <laughs> and that's, and, I, and that's something that I got to be careful how I say this, that I was struggling with, right? <laughs> I'm no longer struggling you. with that. Yeah, see, see, I'm learning. I'm learning already. Learning. <laughs> all right, <clears throat> Gary, let's have some fun. Yes. Um, oh, absolutely. Let's talk about another aspect of your life that um, I I find fascinating. <clears throat> as, as funny to, as I'm beginning to talk about it, my voice goes. I can hear you. You are a voice actor, and so um, you did. You you introduce yourself in a voice. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved with that. You told me earlier, but tell the audience and I guess share share with us some of your voices. I because I. I I I found voiceover voiceover the field fascinating, and I was almost I almost got into it back in my twenties and thirties. I just never followed up with it, maybe because I was drinking too much. Tell us a little bit about your voice acting. That uh, that's interesting. That <clears throat> you put yourself in a position to where you probably couldn't possibly succeed in it. You do have a good voice. I like your voice. Um, when I think about it, and I meet people all the time. And I hear someone with a real good voice. And I hear somebody with a really, I say, you know, have you ever thought about doing voice acting? Because I mean, you know, because I, I teach classes. <laughs> and I say, you know, essentially, if you've thought about it, why not pursue it and see where it goes? 
But for the most part, people are terrified because they think they're going to fail instead of maybe they will succeed. For me, success, you know, being successful is simply realizing that you did the best you could until you said, I don't want to do this anymore. If you love it, trust me when I tell you, you wouldn't be thinking I should have done that. I would have done that. You'd be doing it. So for me, when I was a kid, <clears throat> I... <laughs> I guess it started because I always, I never thought, oh, I could do funny voices or anything like that. I just had the Sunday paper a little bit longer than my family was comfortable with me having, thinking this boy might be developmentally disabled. He doesn't give us the paper back once he gets the comic section. <laughs> well, he found out later, you know, I said, Cause I, can I have it last after you guys have read? Because I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to cut out the characters. I'm going to listen to the characters as they talk to me. I'm going to learn how they talk. I'm a writer now. I'm going to learn how they talk. I'm going to understand the cartooning style and all the different stuff. So I started as a cartoonist, just drawing cartoons. And I'd done that apparently since I was age three, which is funny because I was left-handed then and I was drawing, and, and I can see it right now red crayon on a yellow wall because I had yellow walls and I just thought they needed decoration. <laughs> okay. So my, my sister got in trouble for that, or at least my middle sister did because they couldn't believe a three or four year old was drawing these things on a wall that really made sense. And I just thought, you know, here's a heart and here's a little arrow and I see some clouds and there's some horses. <laughs> and I think it was from a former life because I remember seeing that when I was four years old and saying, oh, that's probably where I got the drawing from. Wow. So I just kind of played around with it. I never thought much, but then I started, like I said, with the cartoon, uh, you know, section. And I said, oh, these people need a voice. Okay, where are we going to go? So I would start creating little character voices. I would say, well, then, you know, I'll kind of play with it. And, and my dad uh, was studying real estate at the time. <clears throat> so he had a, a, a real, not a real reel, but a cassette recorder. And I commandeered that and recorded me talking and interviewing and playing with my toys. So I'd say, well, Mr. Football, I'll do my normal voice. You know, it still sounds like a child. Well, Mr. Football, what are you going to do today? I don't know, Gary. You know, I think we should go out maybe have some fun with the guys. Yeah, but, you know, for how long? Until Mr. Baseball wants to play. Oh, okay. So I couldn't do those voices, but in my head I was doing them. <laughs> So I was playing and just not really thinking about it. And I was singing and I had a little recording and my dad would go, what the hell are you doing on my, on my cassette recorder? Okay, this is your tape from now on. This blank is yours. Do whatever you want with it, but don't. And I didn't record over his other stuff, but he was concerned that I might. You know? <laughs> so I kind of played around. I didn't think too much about it. And then I got into languages and, uh, when you grow up in California, Espanol is more importante porque, you know, mis amigos son de Argentina, Colombia, Mexico. So I, I started going, okay, well, Spanish is interesting. And I started actually drawing cartoons to teach my Spanish, my Mexican friend up the street how to tell time. So I drew a cartoon called Sheriff Mouse. And Sheriff Mouse would come alive and he would teach me Spanish and I would, you know, draw cartoons. And we would have some fun with it. And I hadn't thought too much about it, except, you know, Spanish was important. And my mom is Italian, so they would say one or two things in Italian. My dad's mom is German-French, so I would I would hear Statazita. I would hear Preste. I would hear, you know, uh, uh, C'est la vie. I would hear little bits and pieces of German-French. And I would add to that instead of sit, sitting there going, well, that's all I know. I, I added to it, and I learned German. Then I learned French as well as Spanish. 
And then I continued with uh, different languages and met a friend in uh, junior college and we kind of became really good friends and started traveling around the world, you know. And every every place I went, I noticed other people was talking like that, you know. And suddenly it's like, oh, cool, there's a whole world out there. And I started doing, you know, impressions of all the different places. I would go to Germany or something like that, and I would speak with a German accent. I would go to France and speak with a French accent, you know. And I would, <laughs> and I would go from place to place and go, ah, this is kind of fun. <clears throat> Still not really thinking about what I would do with it, just kind of just having fun, you know. And in the meantime, my friend, it was not one of the world's greatest living languages, because he continued on, on the path of languages, uh, was writing a book on languages, and uh, I was just, you know, getting a taste for all the different countries we were going through, you know, and it was a lot of fun for me to just do that, and then I came back, and I heard about, you know, people I'd heard about before, like Daz Butler, who was, you know, Yogi Bear, and dozens and dozens of characters for Hanna-Barbera, and I wrote to him, and I said, you know, I'm thinking about doing this, he says, well, yeah, come and take my class sometime, in Beverly Hills, and he sent me a photo, you know, with his his character. That's pretty cool. And I just kind of did it on my own until I finally got to a place in Hollywood where I said, you know, I kind of do this, and I want to know where I can do this. She goes, okay, well, uh, go ahead and do a couple for me. And I probably did like forty or fifty of them. <laughs> and she says, you're really good. You might want to take my class. Okay, sure. So I took her class. She used the paradigm of my using uh, uh, comics and, and uh, green cards and anything that had a face on it to teach her class. And she said, do you mind if I do that? I go, well, what can I do to stop you? <laughs> so she changed her whole class outline depending on how I you know, did it. <clears throat> but she saw that I was creating characters every day. And next thing I know, I had you know a woman... Who said, well, yeah, come on and read for me and see if you, you know, I can be your agent, whatever, and see if you're really. And I read and she started reading me right away. She gave me stuff. Oh, this is for Kellogg's and this is for, you know, Knott's Berry Farm. I go, really? She goes, oh my God, are you kidding me? How did you not have an agent? Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I was basically just taking copy home and reading whatever I could, copies, what you, you know, like. <clears throat> I would even read the back of uh, my dad's, uh, you know, shaving cream. Rise has been formulated to give you the wetness you need. Oh, yes. And I was just creating stuff. Um, the key, and of course, you're thinking as an announcer back then, you know, uh, the key to a clean shave is keeping your beard wet and soft the entire shave. Rise has been formulated to give you the wetness you need. It seeps moisture into your beard and holds it there so you can get a close, comfortable shave. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's on the top of my head. That's a voiceover for a commercial for, for yeah, a that's a voiceover. Yeah. And, then, uh -huh. and yeah. then I learned how to soften and go, Rise has been formulated to give you the wetness you need. You know, So I'm giving a next-door neighbor read, and I'm learning to do my own voice. And I was never in love with my own voice, but I, I created so many voices by then that I was able to go in and out of whatever characters and, and sweeten or do whatever I wanted to uh, with them. And I started taking classes and more classes. And that's what you need to do is take a few classes and, and, and feel out the teachers. And, you know, Michael Bell was one of them. And uh, was it Arcade Butter? That's what he was known for, the Parquet commercial when he did Snorks and other, a lot of cartoons. And uh, he was fun. And and then uh, I, I never... Uh, by the time I was really good enough to where I thought, and this is hubris, this is what, you know, stopped me from doing a huge rise. By the time I thought I was good enough to take Daz Butler's class, he had passed. 
But in the meantime, he had taught people like Nancy, uh, oh, what's her name, uh, you know, Bart Simpson and stuff like that, uh, and taken under his wing, uh, Nancy Cartwright. So I was thinking, you know, I, I waited a little bit too long before I met Dawes, <laughs> but I learned and learned from all the other masters as best I could, and then I, you know, I met him, and started finding out that I could be paid for this. And I was like, well, why not? So I just started doing some cartoons, some stuff from uh, uh, Backstage West and stuff like that. And next thing I know, I'm growing and growing and growing and getting more characters. And now they're starting to pay me for this. And I just kept going, you know, the best I could and started meeting other people and and uh, practicing and practicing. And next thing I know, I was doing a cartoon. And uh, I was, oh, no, I, I a message from this uh, on my phone machine and it's an ad I answered from Backstage West and they said um, <clears throat> you know just leave some accents on, on the recording and, and we'll get back to you so I said okay fine so I called up and then went and played basketball and I came home and my, my machine was good you know the machine was you know the light was e -e 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 -e. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just one or two I was like oh crap I call back. Uh, who is this? Oh my God! You have to call us back. It's like, oh my God! You know this kind of thing. What are you? What, what are you doing? Why? Why are you? Why are you not calling us? <laughs> I finally, I finally called him back, and and dude, it was so hilarious because I called up, and this is the kind of thing you would expect. Hi, uh, yeah, my name is Gary Gillette, and I, I, uh, uh, she's like, hello, what voices did you do? What what accents? <laughs> and I said. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did a few accents for you guys. She goes, yeah, yeah. What were they? I go, oh, I did Spanish, French, German, Italian, Russian, Jamaican. I went into Korean and I did. <laughs> she goes, hold on. It's that guy. <laughs> you know, their tone changes real fast when they think they have talent. And they put on the director. She goes, when can you come in? I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, oh, my God, you did, what, 34 accents? I go, something like that. I don't know. She goes, well, I need you to come in and, you know meet with us and I'll send you the script tonight and you can go over it and see what you think. She goes, but you're going to be my lead in this movie. I said, really? Wow. <laughs> okay, sure. Why not? It was called the moneymaker. Uh, Susan Shapiro was her name. And I met people down at uh, Hollywood. I walked into a room full of faces I've seen on TV for years. Mm. And this is uh, the paper chase uh, on Hollywood by, I think it was. And I walk upstairs and just go, Oh my God, <laughs> these people are stars and <laughs> what am i doing here right and you have to just get past that because you have to get past the fear so i put down <laughs> i took out my briefcase and put my script on the table and they only had sides there was maybe 15 people around the table and you know what sides are one or two pages i had the whole damn script in my hand wow. and we're talking 200 something 60 pages and i put it on the table and boy i got some looks <laughs> goes, this is Barry Gillette he's going to be doing Emil he's our lead character just play off of whatever he does <laughs> and I'm looking around going okay folks this should be fun and I did you know all the different accents with this guy during World War II going from country to country hiding from the Nazis and I was originally from Texas so I started out with a Texas accent of course and then I went over and I went to Germany and went to Russia in different places and they just look at me, and it's funny because every time I spoke, they, they, I get looks from everybody going, "Oh, now you're Russian? Oh, you have to be double on video. Why just shouldn't they be Russian?" <laughs> They're like, "Oh my God, we're in the presence of a, a real, you know, voice actor here." 
you know, and I said, sure, you know, mm -hmm. I don't just do camera. And next thing I know, I went to Hollywood and, and uh, what was it, uh, Sony Studios, I guess it was, and uh, was escorted to do it and sat there in front of a mic and said, well, this is how it starts. Huh? So, you know, the big, getting to the big, the big game. And so I noticed that they were speaking German, but they weren't speaking it correctly. <laughs> so I corrected him. She goes, okay, now you're the dialogue director. I go, really? So I'm the star of the dialogue. And then they said, well, we're going to England. And everyone had the same accent, you know. And I said, well, why don't we do some Cockney, you know, some Liverpudlian and different flavors, you know. We could get a little more Scottish, a little more Irish flavors. She goes, okay, now you're the dialogue director. <laughs> wow. So Susan put me in charge. I never left the studio. I was there for like 10 hours that day. And it was so much fun for me. I said, okay, now we're going to do these accents. Okay, then I'm teaching them different accents. And they go, when are you teaching? I go, I never thought about that. Next thing I know, I had all these people lining up to take my class. <laughs> so the next you week, started, I started teaching. You started teaching. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, as you said, the, you complimented my voice and, and I was a DJ in college and post-college. And um, I, th my only problem with my voice, while I might have a good voice, is I have that New York accent or more, more specifically the Long Island accent. So, <laughs> and I think it's a little late in my stage Long in Island. my life to start doing voiceovers, but I used to dabble in, I love Bugs Bunny. I love Davy Duck. Um, and um, I, I forget the character who, who was the guy that was always after uh, Bugs Bunny. But uh, uh, I'm going to get you. Oh, some, you uh, mean Yosemite Sam? Yeah, Yosemite Sam. Thank oh, you. He's a yeah. I, used to, I used to walk around. Rabbit. Yes, exactly. And I used to walk around talking like that to myself. What was interesting about. Oh, fun. Well, I, I did have some sobriety back in the 90s, and I had a sponsor who was a voiceover for commercials. Um, he did head and shoulders, and he had done so many different um, stuff. So he did when he, was, when he was traveling the world, I would sit and watch his condominium, which is in, I live by the ocean, and it was over the ocean, so I got to stay in his million-dollar condo. Um and he came back to me one day and he said, yeah, you, you do have the voice to, to be a voiceover. And I said to him, would you help me get into the business? And you know what he said to me? No, because then you're my competition. <laughs> you know, he would, he said, and that's kind of the sad thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I, true. In business, uh, But I don't see it that way. When I teach, I say, you well, have your own unique. You're a teacher. So you, can't you're, you don't see it as competition, but for him, if I got into it, then I'm up against him in the next audition, you know? So, um, yeah. and I think that's what shot me down because he said to me, but what you could do is you make a demo tape and then you could send it off to some agencies. And um, I just never followed through on that. And it's one of my biggest regrets yeah, today. So that, because, was, that was on you at that point, yeah. Yeah. And that happened to me where I was just getting into it and a girl said, well, why don't you make a demo tape for me and I'll give it to uh, these people who make commercials. <clears throat> I mean, they were huge. Uh, I'll have to think about the name that, that they were like, um, they were, they were big and I was terrified. 
I didn't I did not know what to to, to put on that tape. I hadn't taken any classes at the time. Yeah. And that's <laughs> and another I, problem. No. And I was like, I'm not ready. I knew when I was ready because I had enough free ones. I had done maybe a dozen free ones, you know, to where I said, Okay, I think every time I do something, people go, Who's your agent? Blah 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 blah. And I go, I don't have one. Why the hell not? I go, because I'm still working on it. And this is what I teach my students. I Are said, you, still you don't walk in. Oh, sure, sure, all the time. Yeah, okay. I say, you don't walk in and say, well, I can do this because if you can't live up to a demo, because I even recorded demos for friends, you know, like one guy wanted me to record a demo for his birthday. And I said, sure, but here, here's what we're going to do first. I'm going to give you an eight-hour crash course and see what you can do. Because I'm not going to record your demo if you can't go in there and knock it out of the park. If you give them a demo that's killer and you can't do it, you just cut your throat and finish your career on the same day. <laughs> so um, I said, that's one thing you don't do. You don't go unprepared for these things. You just, a, a name just popped into my head because we're from the same generation. Huh? Rich Little. Huh? Remember Rich Little? Huh? Well, you uh, want me to tell you what I did with Rich? <laughs> sure. It wasn't well, him in person. But I learned to do Rich Little's voice so I could do all of Rich Little's characters. <laughs> yeah, I, he was so fantastic. So if I could learn Rich Little, I could do John Wayne and I could do uh, uh, J -J -J Johnny Carson. I could do all the voices he did because I could hear <laughs> his voice. And he would do voices that I could do better, like Miss Piggy. And, oh, Kimmy, I told you, Kimmy. He, he was doing voices he shouldn't be doing. <laughs> right. But the ones he did. You know, Richard Nixon and stuff like that. I was like, you know, if I can do it as good as Rich, I'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember him and Johnny Carson. He would do a lot of the politicians or the presidents. There, 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 stuff. Yeah. There, was, there was another career that I dabbled in that <clears throat> I, I wish I took off on, although it's not a mainstream um skill set these days but ventriloqu ventriloquism i actually had a dummy <laughs> and uh, i learned to throw my voice um i'm going back you know 40 years um you don't see many ventriloquists today although there's that new guy out there i forget his name but he's on all the he's on netflix and he's on all the do you know who i'm talking about there's a there's a, there's a very <laughs> now he's in sherman Oaks, there's a new new guy. Well, he's been around so for about 10 my, years now. Look at my face right now. How the hell are you? Do you think I did it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that well, was that, one of the things I started with as well. Yeah. That's the whole concept is that you, 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 you do your lips, right? <clears throat> sure. And Gosh, I learned to do it very well. I can't think of the guy's name, but he's everywhere. He was on HBO, he was on Netflix. and, and, and... Oh, you're talking about my other neighbor, maybe. You're talking about Jeff Dunham? Jeff Dunham, thank you. That's who I'm talking about. He's my other neighbor. He used no to kidding. go into the shop where I was fixing Macintosh computers. And I would say, Jeff, you have a brown Hummer today. You had a green one two days ago. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> and he would say, they match my helicopters. <laughs> I'd say, okay, Jeff, game over. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a phenomenal ventriloquist. Uh, he's remarkable. He's the best one out there. Yeah, he is. Yeah, Jeff is fun, except when he argues with his puppet. <laughs> I, I, th I think he, he kept ventriloquism alive because it was becoming a dead art, you know, um, from from when I was growing up, 
there, there weren't many out there. There was, there was a few here and there, but when Jeff Donham came along, it became, um, and he was, I think his, his writing is fantastic. Um, and his character is brilliant. brilliant yeah, I so. think that really makes a difference. Uh, look at uh, Darcy Farmer. I don't know if you've seen her. She was the little yes. female, like, yes, do this amazing work, but she could sing so beautifully that she felt she needed the puppets to speak for her, but she could sing soprano. She could sing, you know, uh, she could do uh, any kind of, I mean, I, it was mind blowing that this girl, and then she would do this little puppet singing. <clears throat> and then she got the gig and she, you know, she's in Las Vegas now. She's doing yeah. very well, I far. but she, uh, but just like anybody else, she wanted to find a, a way to speak outside of herself. And I think that's the case with a lot of ventriloquists. And I met a few of them over the years, including the one from Soap, if you remember him, uh, Mr. Johnson. You remember from the the, the TV show Soap? James Johnson was his name. I, I, I'm, I'm aware of the show. Hilarious. Then I met Willie Tyler and Lester, and I met a few different you know, ones along the way. I never met Paul, uh, if you remember... Um, yeah, uh, what's his last name? <laughs> They'll kill me. He's like April uh, is his daughter. I think she's still doing some voice work. Paul Winchell. If you remember Paul Winchell, he I was do. a huge influence on him. Yeah. Wow. So there's a handful of them. Uh, Charlie McCarthy and and not notwithstanding, because he did it on radio. So when right. he went to TV, you could see his lips clearly moving. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I don't want to learn his style. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hi there. How are you? <laughs> he, he he for for all the years he did it on radio he didn't he didn't need to learn that skill so <laughs> Gary it's it ironic has, that you would bring a puppet yeah I <laughs> just I'm just as we're talking about voice um voiceovers and voice acting it's something that I gave some thought to back in my early days but I, I know the whole story for another day went off in a different direction so. Gary, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. It was it was refreshing. Not only did I learn something and you taught me how to shift my thinking about my my struggles that I'm not struggling. I was struggling already. I'm, I like that. Um, I, I, I tell the audience that I, I put posts up, post-its up in my house for little things that I need to be reminded about. I think I'm going to put a couple of post-its up about that. And so for anybody who um, picked up on any of Gary's books and um, concepts that, that he's uh, passionate about, everything from his metaphysical world to his autism to about mortality and, and the fear of dying or or not having the fear of dying – all of this is available on Amazon. And of course, Gary, I'll put all of this in the show notes. Anything that you want me to uh, put down there, your, your, and any book and your website and how to contact you, all of that will be in there. And um, thank you for reaching out. And, and it, this, this was a very enlightening and enjoyable. And, and, and for once I had a little laugh because my podcasts have been too serious and i'm glad today we had a little levity so so thank you, you so know, much i think that uh you know we got to do another one that's I, all there's to it we just scratched the surface i, I agree <laughs> i agree i would love to have you back um th there's just so much when i have a guest on 
you know, podcasts, we try to keep the episodes down to 45 minutes just so we don't lose the audience. And and, and plus, people today, 24 hours in a day, they don't have, you know, between TV and work and, and, and all this stuff, podcasting is not high on their priority. So if I can get a podcast, somebody to listen to a podcast, I try to keep it down to 45 minutes. So yes, I would like to have you back. We can do a part two. And, and um, it's also another fascinating thing about me is that I've been speaking to people around the world. You're in Hawaii. Last night, I spoke to somebody in Malaysia. Last week was China. Two weeks ago, that was Spain. And then the United Kingdom. I am seem to be getting gl global interviews around the world. I, I haven't had somebody from the United States in about two months. <clears throat> so this is, well, Hawaii is the United States, but you know what I'm saying. Gary, thank you so much. We'll be, we'll, you and I will be in touch. We'll do this again. We'll get, we'll get your information in the show notes. And I can't thank you enough. I hope you're hearing my voice because you'll keep breaking up. Regardless, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'll probably be doing my own podcast and I'll have you as a guest. Oh, that would be, one, that'd be <laughs> wonderful. Today, okay, Gary, thank you again. <laughs>